0: All right, friends, once again, um, Happy New Year. I'm so grateful that you're here. I'm grateful that we're back into a worship rhythm after a couple of weeks of oddity. Um, I'm grateful for this time that we get to celebrate in this season that we get to celebrate, that we enter into today that we call epiphany. Now, epiphany is a word that we use in sort of everyday uh, non-religious language to say like an aha moment. All of a sudden things click. We we have this sudden awareness, this poof, and it makes sense. Um, In the religious context, it has a very specific uh, meaning talking about an appearance or a manifestation of God. So a, a, a tangible, physical um, representation or 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 um, presentation of the presence of God among people, and so when we talk about this uh, as a as a Christian season that we enter into, what we're talking about is celebrating the presence of God come among us um, and the appearance of God. If you look up just the definition of of Epiphany, it has words like appearance or manifestation or revelation or clarification, and so uh, that's what we're celebrating, that Jesus comes into our midst and all of a sudden there's an awareness, there's a clarification, and all of the past and all of the future sort of makes sense most, especially for us as a people of faith through the lens of that one moment, that one person that we call Jesus, and so that's what we're talking about in this season. We often play in this season with the imagery of light, with that idea of appearance uh, or illumination or the idea that, that, that because of Jesus, everything things sort of becomes more clear. Uh, We're able to see things as they are. In the season of Epiphany, we talk about light uh, a lot, and and Christ is the one who's illuminating our darkness. Um, we also very often um, celebrate the, on Epiphany Sunday, most particularly, the coming of the Magi or the wise men. Now, uh, Epiphany is actually the 6th of January, which is 12 days after Christmas. Um, and, and that's where you get uh, songs like the 12 days of Christmas. That's sort of derived in that. And um, if you are actually perhaps in the Orthodox Church or you're celebrating Christmas in the Middle East, uh, they don't celebrate Christmas until uh, the 6th of January. So one year I got the opportunity opportunity to, to to be in Bethlehem on the day that they celebrate uh, Christmas, which is uh, January 6th, which was very, very cool. And so uh, depending on where you are in the world, it's celebrated different ways. But uh, oftentimes we bring the, the Magi or the three wise men into the story uh, at this particular time. And so I want to read that story and, and talk a little bit this morning about what it is that Matthew's telling of the Magi, the way that he presents this story, uh, might mean for you and I. So, here are these words. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem asking, where is the child who has been born King of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising, and we've come to pay him homage. Then Herod, when Herod heard this, he was frightened and all of Jerusalem with him. And calling all the chief priests and scribes of the people he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet, "And you Bethlehem in the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who is to be who, who is to shepherd my people Israel." Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time that the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem saying, "Go and search diligently for the child; And when you have found him, bring word to me, so that I may go and pay him homage. When they had heard the king, they set out, and from there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising, until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother. They knelt down and paid him homage. Then opening their treasure chests, they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh and having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod they left for their own country by another word by another road these are the words of God for the people of God thanks be to God so i want to begin by talking about what it is that we uh, imagine about the magi so i mean there's a few things we imagine that there are three of them that's how we get the song uh, we three kings but, but the scripture never says that there's three of them we, We imagine that they're kings at all, but the scripture doesn't really say that. It's a pretty ambiguous word. We imagine that they were from the east, that they were sort of uh, generally speaking, beyond the primary consciousness of, of the, the, the Scripture writer and, uh, writers and those who were reading it, that in essence, they were from somewhere else. Um, and, and we don't get a lot of clarity about where that is, what their home was, what it, what it looked like. We uh, assume that they are learned scholars, that they're uh, brilliant and bright, but, but the Scripture doesn't really say that. And, and so we imagine all of this, and then we find that the Scriptures say very little about them. And, and why do we know very little about them? I mean, they're in all of our manger scenes, uh, at least at some point. Maybe you have a tradition, like many do, that, that the, the wise men don't come to the to the manger until after Christmas, uh, because as we mentioned, Christmas Eve, they show up late sometimes. Um, but, but, but they're important to the scene. They're very, they, they bring the most important part to our living nativity, the camel, um, which by the way, the scripture also doesn't say there was any of, which is disappointing, um, But but, but they seem so pivotal to our storytelling when we visit this, the greatest story ever told, and yet we know so little about them. Why is it that we know so little details? Why is it that Matthew gives us so little to go on? Did, did, did he not know that we, a 21st century audience, would be extremely interested in knowing how it was that the camel got there and, and who these people were, and we wanted to know the backstory? Why are they shrouded in so much mystery? Now, the answer to all of these questions uh, for Matthew is actually quite simple and quite straightforward. Uh, The answer is simply that for Matthew, the story isn't about them. The story of the forest is bigger and more important than the story of the trees, So in this, uh, the year of the story, we've been talking a lot about Donald Miller's work. And if you were with us back in September, we we specifically did a deep dive um, building on on his sort of foundation, his definition of a story. We looked at a book called A Million Miles in a Thousand Years. And in that book, he tells a story about a particularly challenging season of his life in in which everything sort of seemed to to come apart at the seams. Things were not going as he expected. He was in a, a, a great deal of grief and loss, and it was in the midst of that season that he discovered Viktor Frankl's work and logotherapy. If you remember, we've talked about that a little bit over the last several months as well. But part of what he learned in studying all of that is that we do well to remember that each of us has individual stories and they're buzzing with potential and possibility and that we're invited uh, to tell good stories in the world with our lives, to make an impact, to tell uh, compelling stories with the way that we, we live. And all of that is true but we're also characters in a larger story, in God's story, uh, that began somewhere long, long ago and will continue sometime long after we're gone. And what Miller says is that he realized in, in that awareness that he was a tree in a story about a forest, and it was misguided of him not to understand that. And he said that the story of the forest was bigger and better than the story of the tree. The wise men and their story is not really about them but it's about their lives and their journey pointing to Jesus and the mercy and the magnitude of God among us and and the significance of what this moment means. And if we are to understand ourselves and God properly, we'll find the same thing is true for us. Uh, Today is epiphany. We talk about the aha moment, this, the, the coming awareness, the light among us, a light bulb moment in which uh, we recognize God dwells with us not just at some time in the past but continues to, to show us the way to live and to love. And so when we see that light and when we uh, put ourselves in that light, we can't help but be changed. That's a part of what happens is when we uh, come to an understanding of who God is and who God wants to be in relationship to us. Uh, w- we have to be changed, and one way that we're changed is that we realize that we play an important role, that we have a pivotal part to play in a story that's not about us. It's not to discount our stories. We do choose stories. We, we live stories in which we are the main character. We are also characters in, in a broader narrative that God is telling about the world that, that began with the creation and ends with all things bang, being made new and right. And a central core function for us as a people of faith is to point others to God in our midst, to point others uh, to how Christ is among us, to point others to the light that exists right here in the midst of the chaos of our lives. So I want to read this reflection that I think is really, really interesting and, and really powerful for us. And it, it shaped a lot of this for me. This is from Reverend Dr. Derek Weber, and he's writing about this story about the wise men coming. And he says this, we, what we don't know about the wise men could fill whole encyclopedias. Oh, we've made up stuff because we don't like mystery all that much. We've given them a history and names. We've given them a story so that we can wrap our minds around them and live a little bit more comfortably. We've constructed a scenario that makes sense, that sounds nice, that fits into the narratives that we've created for ourselves. But Matthew, for his part, doesn't care about any of that. For him, the wise men are merely a plot component, a means to an end. The wise men aren't the point for Matthew. They are there as a way of announcing the birth. They are a sign pointing to something beyond themselves, something that gives them meaning and purpose, something that makes them characters in a worthwhile story, something that defines them. They are who they are and who they have come to be be because of what they found, because of the one that they found. And I love this reminder for us, friends, that each of us is invited to tell Uh, part of this ongoing story of God in the world. This is for us the invitation to participation. If you remember uh, back to Christmas Eve, we talked about this idea a little bit. We said that one of the few things that all of the characters of the Christmas story, uh, as we tell it, what they share together is that each one of them said yes to participation. We talk about the jaded uh, priest, Zachariah, uh, who who nonetheless participates and loves what God gives him. And we talked about uh, his wife, Elizabeth, who besides bearing John the Baptist also bears hope hope and good news and blessing at every turn uh, along the way. We talked about Mary whose plans get turned upside down. And in the midst of that, she recognizes that the world is turned upside down and she sings a song of joy right in that moment. And we looked at Joseph who felt disappointment and betrayal and decided to take one simple step of faith after another to put one foot in front of another until he could understand what it was that God was doing. We, We talked about the shepherds who believed that God's good news was big enough good news to include even they who had been forgotten. And we talked about the Magi, besides showing up late, who demonstrate the power of observation and response. And each of them models participation and models for us what it means to respond to God's invitation to be a part of the story that's being told even here and now today. We get to do that. We get to point to goodness and mercy. That's a part of our role. As Matthew tells the Magi story, they come. We don't get any of the backstory because the whole purpose of their story is simply to come and point to the significance of God among us to say that this is of international import, that this turns everything upside down, and this is good news for all. People. Luke has a different way of saying it. As the, the shepherds show up, uh, as the shepherds experience the, the angels showing up, uh, this is Matthew's way of saying this changes everything. And this is good news for all people. They are pointing to that good news. And friends, you and I, uh, a part of our role as a people of faith is to do the same thing, to point to this good news that in fact is in the process of changing everything. We're called to live not only for our own glory, but also to point people to God's glory and share light with people that are around us so that they can see what God is doing in their midst and so that they can join into it. That's a part of our role. I just want to say that, that sometimes we, we talk about finding our role or, or, or playing our part and we, we get a negative connotation with that. Because sometimes it feels like we're being sort of cornered and to, 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 you have to behave in this particular way. And, and sometimes that's the case. That's what it means when people say to, to know your role, to play your part, to, to, to just stay in your lane. Sometimes that's what we're talking about. But I don't think that's what this means. It's not about putting a mask on or, or, or sort of shoving down our, our true selves. Instead, I think that when we become clear about this Part of who we are as a people of faith to point others to the the good news of God. Uh, Perhaps we are uncovering a bit of our true selves and our true identity and experiencing some of the fullness and the wholeness that we desire because that's how God has wired us up to be in the world. And perhaps in pointing others to the light, we also become more observant of the light ourselves. That's been my experience in life. Now, I said earlier that we like to imagine a lot of things about the Magi. One of the things that that I like to imagine is that somehow in seeing this child all of a sudden, everything that they had given up, everything that they had walked away from, this long journey that they had taken, uh, all of a sudden it felt worth it. And they knew in that moment uh, that, 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 that this had been worth every step of that journey. And I have to imagine that they were filled with a sort of joy that most of us can hardly uh, uh, relate to. But I wonder if we might experience some taste of that as we also point others to this Story in a different book, uh, Donald Miller talks uh, about every character or every story having four types of character. There is the victim, the villain, the hero, and the guide, and there can be plenty of other uh, versions of that. There can be uh, multiples of those but but in this in its essence, another way of talking about a story is that it's a hero on a mission and all, along the way uh, they 'll encounter villains who use their power over and against other people to to sort of stop progress or to to hurt other people uh, you 'll encounter victims who who in essence uh, let the story happen to them and rather going through the process uh, rather than going through the process of transformation they just uh, simply are there and they take it and they're often hurt in the way that's the the victim role. And as the hero goes on, uh, the hero will make progress, will transform, but they will always do it uh, with the help of the last character, the guide. The guide is the person who can help uh, point them in the right direction. The guide is often older and wiser, uh, but has experienced some sort of transformation in their own lives uh, by which they're able to help the hero move on their mission. And, And so, um, Uh, The the guide can have experienced the same challenge and transformation or sometimes it's just uh, the wisdom that comes with years that they're able to point people along the way in order that the hero can keep on going. Oftentimes, the guide is able to see things on the path that the hero cannot Uh, To see things in the the future uh, that the hero cannot, to see things in the past that the hero cannot, or to even see things within the hero that the hero cannot see about themselves. Uh, That's what a guide does for us. Uh, They're sort of a sage. So think of like um, Frodo's Gandalf or or what Mary Poppins does, or or, or think of um, the Karate Kids, Mr. Miyagi. These are people uh, who are guides for us. And in essence, what I think the story of the Magi helps us understand is that each of us is called to do that same sort of thing. It, it may be for one scene, it may be walking for a long season with somebody or throughout their whole lives as parents, right? You're called to guide children in a direction, and and sometimes that looks different through different stages of life, but, but each one of us, if we take our role as a people of faith seriously to point others to the good news of God, uh, we're all invited to be guides who, who point in a direction, who point not to ourselves, but instead to the glory of God around us, not to what we have done, but what God does through us, not to what we are capable of, uh, But what God is doing in the midst of the world, we are characters in a story of God's glory and redeeming work. And we get to just point to that good news and tell other people about what God has done. So I remember... um, Several years ago, my, uh, I, I think it was one of my last semesters at college, um, I was in this class called The Helping Relationship, and uh, I was studying to be a, a financial advisor, so there was other uh, folks like that, but there was also people in marriage and family therapy and um, uh, other sort of related uh, helping fields in which you sort of meet one-on-one with folks. And, and, and I remember about midway through the class, the professor who had, I'd had in a few classes and I had a really good relationship with, um, Called a student up one day and she said, I want you to imagine what the helping relationship, what leadership in this sort of relationship looks like. And she said, is it this? And she, she grabbed the student's elbow and sort of began to pull him. And she said, is this what leadership looks like? And then she turned him around and she said, or is it like this? And she put her hands on his back and began to push him. And and there was some discussion around this. And uh, I was sitting in the back of the room because that's where I usually sat. Um, And uh, I, I, I was... I was not understanding. I, I, I was looking at this and I was like, I don't think it's either one of those. And um, I didn't have anything uh, to say. And so she was sort of asking all of the students to respond. And I guess I had a look on my face. Uh, and she said, Kyle, what, what, tell me, what is this? Uh, and, and I said, I, I don't think it's either one of those. And she said, well, what, what is it? Um, come show me. And I had no idea what I was going to do, but I began to walk up to the classroom to the front of the classroom to stand next to my classmate. And I stood next to him and I pointed and I said, That's where we're going. And I think, for me, that's become a paradigm for leadership, whether that's one-on-one or in a group, to say, uh, we get to point on the horizon, we get to paint a picture, we get to plant a vision, and then we get to encourage people to move past that. I can't move them, I can't push, I can't pull. I can only give a vision, give a picture, and let others move through that on their own. And friends, at its essence, I think that's what this story is about. The Magi aren't pushing or pulling anybody. Instead, they're pointing to how critically important this story is and what God is doing. And we're invited to do the same thing in our lives, simply to point to the ways that God is on the move. And sometimes that means we have to pay more attention so that we can see it so that we can share it. And I think that's a part of the story, and that's a part of the epiphany journey, is to recognize the light in our midst so that we can invite others into this much bigger narrative, to recognize that we have our own stories, and we are small story, small characters in God's big story, to remember what a blessing it is to be a witness and to lead others into the light. So my question for you to wrestle with this week is how is it that you can point others to the light in your life this year? Let's take a few moments for reflection.